Welcome to the Pivot Replay. My name is Andrew Osinga, and I started this podcast about a year and a half ago, and it has been one of the most fun things that I've ever done. I've started to get messages from people who are just discovering the podcast saying, what episode should I listen to? Where should I start? There's so many, which is such a treat because there are so many great, great conversations that have already happened here. And there are a lot more to come. And while I'm taking December and maybe the 1st of January to get the next batch of podcasts ready, uh, I wanted to revisit some of those early conversations that maybe you haven't heard. Or if you did when it came out, maybe it's been a while, and there might be something here that's useful to you in a different way than it was a year and a half ago. So first up is my friend Annie Downs. I wanted to post this one first for two reasons. One, uh, Annie's the person that told me to do a podcast. She was at my daughter's fifth birthday party, and she walked up to me, and she said, you need to start a podcast. And I thought, huh. And uh, months later, I did, and I'm so thankful for her speaking into my life like that. Also, there's a moment in this interview where she's talking about a book that she's currently writing. It was kind of the first time she put something into words that made its way into the book. That book is now out, and it's called Remember God. And I think it's my favorite book that she's written. It is fantastic. If you're looking for Christmas presents for someone who loves great writing, uh, it is a f just fantastic. And actually, this interview is referenced in the first pages of the book, and that is really cool. So I wanted to tell you about that as we get a chance to listen back to this early conversation with my friend, Annie Downs. But wait, before the interview, one quick note. Maybe you can't give Annie's book to everyone you know and love for Christmas this year, and you're looking for something else to give, let me tell you what it is, friends. It's Lavoso Pens, L-O-V-O-S-O dot com. Lavoso is a handmade pen company, and here's the story. A Pivot listener moved to India about 20 years ago and began working in an orphanage there. He and his wife have since adopted over 50 kids that are part of their family, all boys. Any money that you spend on these pens goes towards these boys' education. I have a number of them now, and I use them every day. I actually have just started using a physical notebook, again, with my Lavoso pen uh, for all my to-do lists and my notes at work, and it has been uh, a treat. I just love using it. It writes so well. It's like got some heft. It's great. And um, anyway, all that to say, you should get some of these. They're beautiful. They put good back into the world. Lavoso Pens. Love orphans, visit orphans, serve orphans at lavoso.com. Okay, well, um, all right, I was trying to remember, I got in the, we were going somewhere last night, and uh -huh. I got in the van, and I said to my wife, um, how did you and Annie meet? Because I know you mainly because you're friends. I mean, originally because you're friends with my wife. Right. And that's not true. That's not true. Uh-huh. You and I met first. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> uh -huh. Where? Uh, I went, Kevin and Mandy. Well, yeah. we all went to mm -hmm. the same church. Yeah, yeah. But Kevin and Mandy Mann mm -hmm. were on the Cademans, were like on three Cademans shows when you were out yeah. with Cademans. Mm -hmm. And I was their nanny. And we were on the same bus. Are you for real? In 2008. No. No. Yeah. I have. Or maybe spring of nine. But it was it was when I had I barely lived here. I left in 09. So. 
I think it was eight. I think it was fall festivals. Like, because it was a festival yeah, in they were festivals. Ohio. They were, what Basically, my memory of those is that nobody else from the actual band showed up. Mm-hmm. And so I was in a sheer panic because all of a sudden I was the lead singer of a band that I was not the lead singer of. I so, remember thinking, this isn't the guy that's on the <laughs> records that I have, but he's nice. So that's where I met you, Andy Osenga. Wow, okay. Um, and... We had a really long conversation (laughs) about your kids. I'll believe that. Yeah. And and I thought they sounded really cute. And then when we got back, I guess it was like the next few months, Uh Alice and I met at church or we shared friends. See, that's what and I, re- someone I, I remember. Someone said we should, you and Allison Osenga should really be friends. And we went to Baja with Sadie yeah. before she was in school. See what my, okay. My memory of this mm-hmm, is mm-hmm. that we met a little bit, but then you, that, that you at one point went up to my wife and said, people tell us we should be friends. Let's be friends. Yeah, probably that's true at a midtown picnic. Yeah. Which I just thought was awesome. That's, well, I, it, is it or is it someone forcing themselves upon their people? I don't know. I guess it depends on the person. <laughs> yeah, <says>. right, right. <laughs> or the person receiving. Yeah. yeah. I mean, at that point, Andy, I seriously had only lived here for six months, eight months. And I, I didn't know any other way to get in with Nashville. Mm-hmm. Because it's in a beautiful way, people care for each other and take care of each other. And everyone's kind of an orphan. So your friends become your family. Totally. But when you're new here, it takes forever it's tricky. to it's get in. City. And so it, the, what, what I could do in other cities of like hanging back and meeting friends and casually getting invited to stuff did not work here for me in 2008. So it ended up being like, hey, I know someone <laughs> who likes you and they think I'm going to like you. Can mm-hmm. we try? Can we do a lunch or a dinner and whatever? And so that's, I mean, that I just had to kind of get ballsy is what I want to say, but edit. You, you can say that. Oh, I can. I just had to get kind of ballsy and start saying to people like, hey, do you want to be my friend? You can say no. And people did. I mean, there were people who were like, we went to one or two lunches and it didn't. Mm-hmm. And then we quit calling each other, texting yeah. each other. Luckily for me, not as luckily for y'all, I don't quit texting you. So <laughs> I don't quit showing up at your house or your kids' basketball games yes. or um, holidays, whatever. Which we love. We love. Uh, my kids... Wait, there's a thing that happens before you come over to our house. <laughs> that I've the, never seen before because it's before I get here. Yes, which is where we sit them down <gasps> and we say, do not be insane. <laughs> because Annie's coming over. Because you seriously they love that. you. That's so funny. And you, they love you in a way that they don't love most other people, which is that they lose all, so, so, mm-hmm. all sense of self-control. Yeah. Like when you walk in the door. I love it. And we have, to, every time, it's like, okay, don't be insane. Just don't be that's insane. Brilliant. And that's it. Like, it's not it's not specific. It's yeah. just don't be insane. Yeah. Because the kids love you. Thank you. Yes. I love them as well. Which leads us to where I want to get started. You okay. were a teacher, a second yes. grade teacher? Thir- uh, Third, fourth fourth, and fourth fifth. grade teacher. Yeah, fourth yeah. and fifth grade teacher. Did you have to sit your class down every morning and say, <laughs> don't be insane? Because they just loved you, Do you so know, much. You know, it was more that other teachers had to be like, Kids aren't supposed to do that. 
right? Like <laughs> you shouldn't have a kid. I had a kid my first year teaching at the end of the year. I mean, at the end of the year, it's glorified babysitting for like the last week, right? Sure, like you're just sense. like yeah. watching movies and doing projects and cleaning a room. And I wanted one of my fifth graders to help me take the border down off the top, uh, like the mm-hmm. ceiling. Uh, at the ceiling, I had the number chart, of the negatives and the positives. So I let him, st- I think this is past the statute of uh, getting punished. <laughs> I let him stand on a bookshelf, a fifth grader, and another fifth grader stood and um, spotted him. And the kid jumped up <laughs> to grab the thing. And when he landed on the bookshelf, the top shelf busted and hit the top shelf of books that shot the next shelf out into the stomach of the of the kid spotting and knocked him down. And we all died laughing. And the kids were like, this is the best class I've ever been in. And I was like, I'm going to get fired. So stuff like that happened all the time. Yeah. I mean, I played guitar during spelling tests. Mm-hmm. And I made up a story every time during a spelling test where that involved every kid in the class mm-hmm. and every word. So I was telling a story the whole way through. I mean, it just was a sentence that I say all the time still in my job, but was true is I entertain people long enough. They learn something. And that's what I did with those fifth and fourth graders. So yes, it is. But you know what? I think kids are incredibly fun. Yeah. I just find them to be, I, I think, and when adults, I mean, they can't be friends with me. Like y'all are friends with me, but they can be friends with me. I can be, I am friends with all three of your daughters. Yeah. And when they think an adult is friends with them, they feel permission to be whoever they want to be. And I love that. Cause then you see them doing stuff that the parents go, they don't do that. They aren't that silly. They aren't that loud. I've never heard that story before. Mm -hmm. And it's just because they think I'm one of their friends. Yeah. And so they act. and, And because I'm not another kid, they don't feel any responsibility. When it's a bunch of kids, kids still feel a level of like, I can't act totally silly because who's in charge here? Mm-hmm. But when it's me, they go, well, Annie's in charge. And also, I can be extreme? Cool. <laughs> and so you get this like, I mean, it happens to me all the time. Yeah. Not with every kid I ever meet, but with families that I really become family with, it it happens all the time. I, there's a family in Atlanta that when I used to live there that wouldn't let me come over after seven. Because they were like, you just, you can't. You cannot be here because of the way they act. And I totally love it. I love that they have an adult in their lives. Now, I, I mean, sometimes I wish, like, could we all sit and talk? And, you sure. know, like, yeah. but the other cool thing is that if if they are like that with me when they're five, when they're mm-hmm. 13, well, this is true with your oldest. Yeah. She wants to go get a smoothie and talk about real stuff. Yeah. Right? But it's because since she was in first grade, mm-hmm. She was silly with yeah. me. And so now she thinks, Annie's cool. Mm-hmm. I can talk to Annie. Yeah. And I want to hang out with her. Yeah. And so it gives, it also gives the parents another, a, a, a village member, mm-hmm. a teammate who you go like, man, Ella said that to Annie. Annie told us, she told us a version of that, but I'm really glad to hear mm-hmm. this side of it that she maybe doesn't say in a yeah. family setting, but she knows I'm going to tell y'all. Yeah, I mean that's one of the that's one of the things you hope for as a parent is that there are other people, adults who are in your kids' lives who care about them. Yeah, right. And, I mean, in youth ministry, it's called the blackout years because they black out their parents at some point. Hmm. It's why student ministry in churches is really important because you need to have. It's why people need to volunteer, not just have like the youth pastor and the assistant and whoever. Mm-hmm. Um, but you need other adults who are on your team that are also on your kids' team. Yeah, and that that y'all trust and that the kids trust. And, 
Um, so I, I've really honored by y'all getting to be that for your kids, but I'm honored when parents invite me in to yeah. let me be that silly voice that turns into a trusted voice. Hmm. And that's really profound. So all that comes out of you being a teacher. How long were you a teacher? I guess it comes out of me being a teacher. It probably just comes out of me loving having fun. Mm-hmm. And the older I get, the less people in my peer group expect fun as much as I expect fun. <laughs> so, no, um, yeah, so it's probably from being a teacher. But I wanted to be a teacher because my third grade teacher was incredibly fun. Hmm. And so I thought, man, she made this place as fun as my house. Like, yeah. I like being at school as much as I like being at home. And so, so I taught for five years. I did three years of fifth grade. Nope, sorry. Two years of fifth grade, three years of fourth grade. Hmm. So was that, and that was like right after college? Like you yep. went to school? Yep, I went to school. And then I worked at our campus ministry. I went to University of Georgia, go dogs. And I worked at the Wesley Foundation, the campus mm-hmm. ministry I was really involved in for the year after college. And okay. then I taught for two years in Athens, moved back to my hometown of Kennesaw, Marietta, Georgia, and taught for three years. Wow. Was teaching what you thought it would be? No. I think one of the interesting things about being a teacher is it's the only job that the person experienced as a kid. Do you know what I mean? Like doctors weren't. Yeah. Doctors didn't have like 16 years of experience of being a patient every day. (laughs) But kids have 16 years probably, especially if you go to Mm -hmm. college. So you at least have 12 years. But you have 12 years of having a teacher and you think it's going to look the way you thought it like you remember the Christmas parties mm-hmm. in fourth grade and you remember the spelling tests and, and you think that's what it still looks like and it doesn't look like that anymore. Mm. And so it didn't look like that for me, at least as yeah. a teacher. What did it look like? It is it is a lot more social work than I realized it was. It was a lot more of concern for kids and mm. caring for kids and paying attention to family um, dynamics that you could find. And it's a lot of paperwork. It's a lot of um, covering yourself, making sure you're writing down everything. It's a lot. Now, I haven't taught in a decade, so it's changed a lot since then too. We didn't have Common Core that they have now. It started after I taught, so I know it's changed a little bit or a lot bit according to my teacher friends. (laughs) But um, yeah, it just was, it's a lot more management. And in the areas I taught, I taught in lower income areas and in what are called title one schools. Yeah. And so a lot of free reduced lunch, a lot of breakfast for kids. And so there was a lot of, are you getting to eat at home? You've worn that every day this week. Can we, do you, do you have other stuff? Is this your favorite shirt or is this your only shirt? Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. One of the neatest things my first school did in Jackson County, Georgia, is they took all the new teachers the week of pre, pre, I can't remember what it's called. That's so sad. Like before school starts, the Mm -hmm. week before. They put us all in a van. No, that's what I was going to say. Preschool. (laughs) Nope. Um, Pre-planning. There it is. I knew it was in the resources back there. Um, They took us in a, in a van and showed us where all of our kids lived. Not like, this is your student. They live here. But like, here's our district. And so they took us to like, mansions and trailer parks. And they were like, you need to know that this kid and this kid will walk in your door. Wow. And it was so helpful because I thought, oh, that, I'm going to have kids who, and I did, I have a, I had a kid who I, oh, Andy, I like, he came, I was 23 years old. I thought I knew everything. And he came into my classroom and had left his homework on the front porch and I just ripped him. 
you're a fifth grader now. We don't leave stuff outside. Why was it on the porch in the first place? And he said, um, I left it under my pillow. And I was like, what are you doing with your pillow on the porch? He said, um, there are two, there's, we have fleas and ticks um, and lice inside. And so we're having to sleep on the porch right now. And I was like, I'm a monster. I'm the worst person that's ever existed. And how did I not know any of this? How do I spend 180 days with you? And I didn't know you were sleeping on the porch. Yeah. Right. So stuff like that happened. And that's what teaching school was like for me. It was not one day a year was Christmas parties. And in my first ever Christmas party, one of my kids' dads died during the Christmas party of cancer. Oh. And so, and another parent shows up and tells me why I'm throwing the party. And so it's just not, it just what, it's a grown up version of a, you remember this really sweet thing mm. and the grown up version is just not near as sweet and simple and it's a little bit harder, but we still sang a lot of songs and had a lot of fun. And I tried to build a classroom where kids felt safe and loved. And I, I said a lot that I hoped I had a cr- Christian classroom in a public school mm. that, that they didn't know what they were getting themselves into. Mm-hmm. But when they took tests, I played instrumental music that some would have recognized yeah. As, <laughs> like as music from, yeah, like a bit like a Chick-fil-A. Um, so I tried to do that and I loved it. It was a great job. And I would have, I, and maybe I'll do it again. You know, people are going to keep having kids and schools are going to keep existing. So yeah. I, I love that about that career. Hmm. So five years, at what point in that process did you think, I'm not going to keep teaching because you don't teach anymore? Right, I don't. So it's really interesting because what happened is, I I find it interesting, the listener, our friends listening, and you might not. But I— <laughs> Oh, I'm interested. Through my, in my fourth year of teaching, so the whole time I was helping, I was a volunteer in our student ministry at my church mm-hmm. and in both cities. And in my fourth year of teaching, I, I wrote a curriculum for our Bible study that I had with the high school girls at my house. Okay. They were in—our student ministry had everyone in cell groups based on their grade— so ninth grade girls were together, 10th grade girls. And then on Monday nights, they could kind of do like next level. And all the high school girls were together and all the high school guys were together. And so all the high school girls came to my house. And a couple of semesters, we had read books. And we would find, I would let the seniors pick a book at the Christian bookstore down the street, mm-hmm. Sweet Spirit. What's up, Sweet Spirit? In Marietta, Georgia. And this one time we went in and the seniors just couldn't find one they loved. Mm-hmm. And, and we got back in the car and one of the girls said, will you just tell us stories this semester? And I was like, oh, I can do that, yeah. <laughs> and so- They have spelling words in them. Yeah, 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 right? <laughs> I know how to do that. I tell stories all the time. And I and so that semester, I wrote their curriculum. I just, every week I would write, hmm. or on the weekends I'd write a story. I kind of felt like I prayed about it and felt like I kind of had this outline in my head of where I wanted to go. And then we would, um, I would write it on the weekend. I would photocopy it on my school's printer on Monday morning, which since then I've taken them a copy of the book and a couple of reams of paper. But I, um, <laughs> and, and then I would just pass them out when they came over Monday night and we'd read them. And mm. they would tell me what they didn't like. And for some reason, Andy, I have no idea. I would write, I would take notes on my copy where they would go, I didn't connect with, I didn't understand that part or we mm-hmm. love that part. And I would take notes. And at the end of the semester, one of the girls said, will you, um, will you print another one of these out and staple it like a book so I can give it to one of my friends? And I went, did I just write a book? 
Hmm. Huh. And I'm an avid reader, as y'all know. Like, I yes. love reading. So books have always been a really important part of my life. One of my grandmothers was a librarian. The other grandparents owned a bookstore. I just have never known wow. a life without books right in the center. And we weren't allowed to watch TV at my house. So it was play outside, play with your sisters, or read a book. And so I narrowed hmm. that down quickly to play outside or read a book. <laughs> and the weather <laughs> kept it going from there, right? And so I read tons. And so the idea of writing a book, I guess it had been in my head, but I didn't mean to. And so then I kind of, I also did Beth Moore's Believing God Bible Study, and that kind of opened my eyes to like, oh, maybe I was always meant to tell stories. Mm. And so I kind of started pursuing that. I Googled in 2006, how do you become a Christian writer? <laughs> no, I mean, yes, not. which Google was not as good as it is now. So yeah. I actually could like find answers, right? Like I didn't have to <laughs> scroll through like, weird stuff of people trying to get me to buy stuff. It was yeah. literally like, here's Relevant Magazine. And I was like, what's Relevant Magazine? Hmm. And so I started, That's and that's who I will attribute forever. I emailed one of the editors at Relevant. They had a girl's page called mm-hmm. Radiant. And um, Kara Davis, who's still in our world, um, Kara, like she's alive, but also she's in like our <laughs> world in Nashville. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and uh, Kara Davis answered me yeah. and said, yeah, would you, would you like to write an article for us? And so they like, and the, the, the other editor, Kareen Israel, just started editing my work for me. Hmm. And so what ended up happening is that, that that was the end of my fourth year of teaching. And by my middle of my fifth year of teaching, two things happened. I wanted, I felt like I wanted to move to Nashville. Mm-hmm. And I was writing every night. Mm. And I was like, I can't keep this up. At the yeah. time, I was 27 and I was single. And I was like, this may be my chance to try to do something. Teaching's not going anywhere. If I'm going to be homeless, this is my chance. Like, <laughs> like if, I, like if I, I'm not going to make it, because I don't have a sugar daddy currently, and I don't have any children, I'm not bringing us all down. I'm not sinking the whole ship. I'm just mm-hmm. sinking my own ship if, I, if this doesn't work. And so maybe I try to do writing and speaking professionally mm-hmm. as my job for a little bit. And so that's a simplified, I mean, yeah. that, that's why I, I went to some writers conferences mm. and met an agent and signed with an agent. And it was all with that one um, manuscript. That, okay. So did that become a, is that that's book my out? very first book? Yeah. Okay. That's perfectly unique. No Isn't way. Isn't that funny? Yeah. I so no it, I wrote it in 2006. This is, this is the part that people don't ever get to hear. They think, Annie's had five books come out in five years. She's a yeah. instant success. And I'm like, joke's on you. Because, She's really CK, just, yeah. just dropping a new one every <laughs> right. year. Yeah. And you're like, no, no, no. I wrote the first book in 2006. It did not hit a shelf until 2012. Wow. Right? And so I signed with my first agent in nine. We got 47 no's between 2009 and 2010. You are kidding. 47. There aren't even that many publishing yeah, houses, yeah. right? How does that I mean, they're like multiple editors at houses. People were at like, McDonald's no. are like, no. Right, right, right. She's like throwing it out her window and people are batting it back to her, right? And so at the end of 2010, when we worked together for a year, it was like, what are we doing? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I let her go in like a, please go. You, I'm not making you any money. This is a waste of everyone's time. Just go. Yeah. yeah, seriously. Like, it was like, it was a literal breakup of, it's not you, it's me, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm taking up your time and no <laughs> one wants to publish me. And by then I finished writing the book. And because of my grandparents and because how my parents love to read as well, I went, can we just, let's just self-publish this so that my grandkids have a book on a shelf from, mm. my, from, the, from their grandmother, Yeah, right? Like, it's someday down the road, they'll go, my grandmother wrote a book once. Because I think that would have been really cool for yeah. my, and we oh, there's man. someone in our family back, 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 who wrote a book. And 
And it's really cool. And so I was like, I want to do that. And so we self-published it in the end of 10. Mm -hmm. And by middle of 11, I thought my writing and speaking is done. That was a good try. Mm. What will I do with my life? And I moved to Scotland, as you'll remember. I I moved to Scotland to help um, start a church there, to help with a college ministry that was starting there. And while I was gone, an an agent who had called me and said, do you want to work together? I was like, I mean, if you want to. We, you need to know this book is not going to get picked up every, unless you know someone that everyone else doesn't know. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, let me just try while you're in Scotland. And, and when I got home two weeks later, Zondervan made an offer on it. They liked how many had sold when we self-published mm-hmm. and, and thought maybe this, this girl's got something. And they all. passed on it initially? Twice. Mm-hmm. Third time's the charm. Third time's the charm. Okay. So, and third time there was sales numbers behind it. Right. And so, which wasn't my intention, though I do tell authors all the time, like, if you've got one story you want to tell and you want it to get out in the next 12 months, you need to self-publish it. Yeah. If you want a career and you've got some time, try traditional first. Mm -hmm. But I wanted a career, didn't think I was going to get one. And so I wanted to hold a book I'd written. Yeah. And then we put it on Amazon because I had a blog readership and a Twitter following and enough people who'd walk the journey with me Mm -hmm. and enough people from my hometown who were who thought I was an author <laughs> that I wanted them to give me ten dollars to prove it, right? I wanted to like them to hold something. Mm-hmm. And for the girls who'd been in that Bible study, I wanted them to see because yeah. still the the dedication to that book is to the She-Ra girls. That was our Bible study with She-Ra mm-hmm. and the boys were He-Man. Yeah. And I was like, this was always for them. This wasn't for other people. I wrote it for them. Mm. And and so that's why we did it. And then when we had a couple of thousand sell in the first quarter that it existed, they were like, Oh, yeah. hi. <laughs> and I was like, I was trying to tell y'all. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm just kidding. So, and then when Perfectly Unique came out in August of 2012, it's just kind of been, I mean, you've watched, it's just kind of been strapped to the front of a train since yeah. then that I've had less control of and more fun than I planned on. Hmm. Man, yeah, I mean, I, that's so fascinating. Because, I, 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 you know, I work with a lot of artists, musical mm-hmm. artists, and I'm always telling them, you've got to get data Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter how great mm-hmm. your how great your songs are, or what you know, what you're inspired to do. Like nobody cares. Show us that somebody cares, and that I mean, that, it seems like that's what kind of helped. I mean, with all those numbers. Yes, you have to. I mean, people don't like talking about this, but I don't know about the music world, but in the writing world, people do not like talking about platform and building your platform. And I don't build a platform. What I do is I know my lane. My lane mm-hmm. is, and we have this hanging in my office. Annie is your friend that you get coffee with, and sometimes you talk about the Bible. Mm-hmm. And everything we do filters through that sentence. Mm. If it's not friendly, if it's not what you, someone would talk about at coffee, and if it doesn't sometimes involve the Bible, then it's not for us. Yeah. And because I know my lane really well, I I know how to find the friends who want to be in that lane with me. Yeah. I know how to find the people who want to hear that stuff. That, And so for me, I'm not building a platform. I'm making new friends. Yeah. That's, that's my goal. That's why I have a podcast. That's why I write the way I do. That's why my Instagram stories are the way they are because I'm talking to my friends. Yeah. And so I'm not building a platform and I'm not getting data, though I am. I mean, yeah. I, I understand that, that. that. But that's also, that's also the case. If your goal is to get data— then right. you're a corporation. That's, that's I am a not, business, yes. That's I run not a business. the kind of thing that people want to support. That's exactly right. But what, people what, don't what want that, to hear yeah. like they're a number in data, but they are 
because because they are but I'm data for every musician sure. that I'm a fan of and every art, artist I'm a fan of. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to follow you on Twitter because I I want people to hear your music. Mm-hmm. And so I want to be another plus one you get today so that when you report to your record label, we had 150 new followers this week. I can help be one of those yeah. followers. And what I mean what that does is it, it doesn't say oh, this person is important, this person is better than you. It says, oh, people are invested. That's right. People are involved. That's right. People care what's happening. That's right. Even, you know, I'm friends with Lady, the people in Lady Annabellum, and when their album comes out, I will say things like, yeah, yeah, buy it because they're Lady A, but I want you to hear me say, mm-hmm. buy it because we support people who make good art. Mm-hmm. Like, they, you know, they don't need more data, right? They're Lady A. But that doesn't mean that that we don't, that we as friends of artists of any kind mm-hmm. don't go, no, listen, you, you should buy that this week because that matters. Yeah. And and I need you to, we still, it still matters to them. It still matters to me. Doesn't matter how many books I come out. I need my friends to buy it the week it comes out. Yeah. And that, because that matters. So. Yeah. Okay. So now you, you've left the teaching. Yeah. You've been writing books. You spent a few years. How were you making a living in between teaching and the books? How much did I, I eat dinner at your house? <laughs> Mama like, wasn't making a living. Like, what were you yeah. doing in that time? Yes. Yeah, so when I moved here. Like before Scotland. Had, yeah. yeah, before Scotland. When I moved here, I had a lot of savings that I blew through. So that's the first part. Um, I really spent seven or eight months off of savings, right, finishing the book. That's sweet teacher money. Uh, yeah, listen, that good old <laughs> teaching money. Uh, in a hilarious turn of events, I had sold my house faster than I thought I would Mm -hmm. and ended up, so I had house money that I should have like put into another house. Silly, silly idea. Instead, I just blew through it. And (laughs) I ended up having to live with my parents for like six months because my house sold too fast when I decided to move to Nashville. And so I had six months of teaching money and house selling money. Yeah. And so that together made it so I didn't have to work. And then I just got every odd job you can imagine. I worked at Mocha Club, a nonprofit here. Mm -hmm. I worked at local taco. Yes. I nannied. I tutored. I really, there was a time, Andy, when every night before I went to, I had eight jobs running consecutively for most of 2009. And every night when I went to bed, because I had articles that I'd write, people would hire me to do their artist bios, Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. And so every night when I went to bed, my alarm the next day would list out where I was going. Yeah. Because I never could remember. I'd be like, okay, well, today I do five hours of nannying. I have two articles due, and then I do a shift at local taco. Yeah. Tomorrow I do the morning shift at local taco and then the afternoon at Mocha club. And then next day, I mean, it was insane. I don't know. I, I made below the poverty line for three years in a row, mm-hmm. which it, it is only God that I could pay my bills. I mean, every month I'd be like, I, I don't know how to do this. I went on a mission trip for two weeks and had never lived off month to month paycheck until this, because, well, not, not lived off month to month, but hadn't had salary before. You yeah. know, as soon as I was done with school, I had a salary. And um, as soon as I was done in college, I had a salary when I was teaching school. And I came back and realized, oh, I didn't work for two weeks. Yeah, nobody nobody put any money in here. That's it. Yeah. And all of a sudden I was like, oh, I have a real problem. (laughs) I I can't pay my bills this week because I went on a mission trip to Africa. Yeah. What have I done? You know, and so that's what I did for three years for the, the back half of eight, nine, 10, and the first half of 11. I had odd jobs trying to trying to write, trying to speak. I had, mm-hmm. I had a little bit of speaking. I'd probably speak two or three times a year in there that would give me a chunk, meaning like $500, yeah. right? Where I was like, 
praises. <laughs> I made $500 on a weekend. But compared to hourly. Oh, I mean, it, was, it really, it was provision. It was God yeah. being so kind to me that like I would get a chunk of money that felt like, oh, at least I can pay rent. Mm-hmm. At least I can pay. And, and the beautiful thing about Nashville is at that time, I'm in my late 20s. My friend group is equally as poor. Mm-hmm. And so we don't, so we are always together and we don't spend any money. Yeah. We will go to, when we, we did a dinner on Sunday nights where everybody would bring a piece. It was just like the Bookstone Soup. I mean, <laughs> someone would bring, uh, there was Chris Rice is mm-hmm. one of our buddies. And because he's rich, he would bring meat. Right. Like, so he would bring the beef or the, or the chicken or whatever. And because he's like, you know, what is it? Yabba dabba do ya. He would pay for our, <laughs> he'd pay for the meat of the meal a lot of times. And then there would be, I mean, we would all, someone would bring lettuce and someone would bring cheese and someone would be taco shells and 30 of us would eat yeah. for very little money. And, but we got to be together. It was a really sweet thing that I don't ever want to be stuck in again. It was a really <laughs> sweet thing. In fact, we, we ate together most of most Sundays in 2009 in the first half of 2010. Mm. And, and then it kind of fell off. Yeah. And this Christmas, Christmas of 16, we all got together for the first time in like seven years. Really? And it was so sweet to I see bet. the successes and the, the quality of the food we ate. <laughs> and people, so many, we were all single at the time. And now there were like seven kids and tons of spouses. And it was really sweet to get together and go like, Hey, we still know each other. Mm-hmm. Like, like you still matter to me because you mattered to me when I had nothing. Mm-hmm. And now I'm a famous country star, a famous Christian star, a famous whatever. Mm-hmm. And now because everyone has has jobs. Yeah. No, you know, from road guys to the artists, whatever, everybody's kind of in the world now. And and so we can't eat dinner every Sunday because everybody's mm-hmm. at home every Sunday. But but we saw each other and went like, oh, I still know you. Mm-hmm. Like we we were there when all we could afford was tacos. Yeah, we survived. Yeah, we survived that. And we were together. And I don't remember it being terrible. Mm-hmm. I remember it being great. Mm-hmm. And it was it's just really sweet. And so so it was a really special time. So that's what I did. That's how I paid the bills. Well, that's do you think without that kind of community of other people who are kind of all trying to do, whether it's yeah. maybe not all trying to be authors, but trying to be musicians or writers or what in fact I was the only author. I am okay. the only author in our little pod of people. Like if you didn't have that, do you think you would have stuck around long enough to see that book, first book come to the light of day? I just met someone recently who was in Nashville for two years and then left. Mm -hmm. And their experience was very different than mine. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so I think that I I don't know that I could have done it. I think I might have chosen a different path by now. I don't know that I left Nashville, maybe. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think I would be doing this if I wouldn't have had that group of people. Because we could watch every tiny success that one person had, we mm-hmm. all... It was a success for everybody. Right. It's yeah. almost like one person got fed and we all got to eat. Do you know what I mean? Like <laughs> yeah. There was like a, oh, look, she got a song on the radio. Oh, look, she got a book deal. Oh, look, he got a mm-hmm. gig. Oh, he's on a tour. Okay. Yeah. Look, we are going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And so I think, I think we really needed each other. I mean, you had a similar experience, right? Oh, yeah. There were a bunch of y'all at the same time kind of going through the same stuff. Yeah. Oh, the community is the, I mean, that's, I would not be still doing anything that I'm doing now if it wasn't for the people that have supported me. I mean, some of it's that we started together. Yeah. You know, in, in, it's like you said, like when you start, nobody has anything, but you're just doing it because you love it and you love each other. 
and then one person, yeah, what one door opens for somebody else, and they kind of help bring other people into that room, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden they're not so hot, but somebody else, somebody else's career takes off mm-hmm. a little bit, and and I think we sort of just leapfrog by carrying each other. Yeah, and now it's we've been doing it for twenty years, and we're still friends, and we're That's still right. all doing similar things or or not, but we're all still active in that community and in that world. And, yeah, uh, but. I mean, no, there's no way I would still be, I wouldn't have eaten. I wouldn't have had songs. I wouldn't have had, for me, I wouldn't have had gear to write songs on or somebody to say, come on over and record something. And I mean, all those doors are open because of the generosity of somebody. That's right. You know, that's right. I, um, when I moved here, I didn't know anybody, Kevin and Mandy, Mm -hmm. I knew them in college. So Mm -hmm. I knew each other. We're all friends of ours as well. Yeah. 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 And then a girl named Marissa Pardo. Mm -hmm. And a guy named Jason Hecht. I had both met them before I moved here. And another girl named Annie. And they shared their friends so generously mm. that, I, I mean, I I attribute my Nashville life to the handful of them. Because they none of them were jealous with their friends or um, hoarding of their friends. They all went, hey, we're 10 of us are going somewhere. Annie's coming too. Mm. And it just was, it, they were so open-handed. It was just, I'd never seen anything like it. Um, The other side is with a lot of artists and a lot of artistic people, people get their feelings hurt all the time Mm -hmm. and people do get jealous and and things get weird and people date and break up. And so for, for all the good sides, there was also really (laughs) weird stuff Yes, and bad days. There were really bad. I mean, there's a reason we quit all doing dinner together because it just there, it got to, it just got where it wasn't always fun. Mm -hmm. And so so there's other sides of this too. Sure. But the part I remember the most is that the the gift they were and are, but the gift mm-hmm. they were in a season where I was figuring out me and figuring out what is this grown-up life without a real job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I haven't been to work in a really long time. <laughs> you know, like it's been a long time since I went to work. I do work and I love my job and I run a company and have employees and it's important, but it hasn't felt like going to yeah. work in a really long time. Man, that's really that's really exciting. Uh, <laughs> my wife's the peanut just gallery. sitting on the couch. Just, mm-hmm. I can't tell if she's laughing because what you said is funny or because what I said is dumb. Um, <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> all right, so you got five five books now. Right, I have. So you've so had one ever, out every year. 12, 13, 14, 16. Um, and then, but yeah, so, okay. So I have, yeah, I have five books out, two Bible studies all under my name. Mm-hmm. And then I've ghost written four others. So I have 11 that I've written. Mm-hmm. And then we have another one coming out in October, a devotional coming out in October, and then another book book coming out June of 18. Okay, and there's an there's an autobiography of John Tesh in there. Is that right? Is that uh, one of the two of them? Ghost it's writing? two parts. Okay, two parts. So, because how can you contain all right. that in one book? Right. Right. That's the that we was don't mean one a of tale of two cities, right? So I just split it up. I split it up. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's a lot of content. John Tesh. That's a deep pull. I, I like know. that. I appreciate that. I know. Um, <laughs> yes, that's a lot of content. I mean, Andy, you've so been when, my friend for a long time. I talk a lot. Yeah, I have a lot of words to but say. But you're also traveling a lot. You speak a lot. Yep. When are you writing all this stuff? Do you are, do you have a set writing schedule? Do you kind of go, okay, I'm just going to say no to everything. I'm going to turn my phone off for, for a week and just write things. Or do you write a couple hours a day? What does that look like for you? So during, we travel heavy. 
September, October, November. Mm-hmm. And we travel heavy February, March, April. So about half the year, all I can do, I mean, that traveling heavy is three weekends a month and sometimes two. And the goal is three weekends and two midweek. Mm-hmm. So we're trying to speak five times a month. I say we, I'm an Annie, but I travel with my assistant, Eliza, all the time. Yeah. So it's a we that travel. Um, so that when that is going on, all I can do is prep for the speaking weekends or events mm-hmm. and run the company during the week. Yeah. That's all I can do. We don't work in August. We take the month off. Hmm. We work for 11 to get paid for 12. Hmm. And so that's just a company goal we have. When I started building this company, my goal, the company being called Downs Books Incorporated. So that includes the writing, the speaking, the podcast, all the things that we yeah. do. Um, when I built the company and as we're building the company, cause it's only five years old, so it's still a baby. The two goals in the baseline of it were generosity and rest. Hmm. And because we won't, I want to do this for 40 more years yeah. and we will not do that if generosity and rest aren't in the core of who we are. Yeah. And so that's what, one of the reasons we take August off is I, and my employees get paid. I get paid. My employees get paid in August so that they can hmm. rest. Cause I, we work really hard Yeah. and I know how hard my employees work because I know how hard I work. And I know that when I want to rest, they won't. Because they go, that's really cute. You're tired. Um, you have like 94 emails to answer today and whatever. So so that makes up about seven months out of the year. June, May, June, July, and December. Mm-hmm. So that's so we're missing a month somewhere. Oh, January. May, June, July, December, January. I try to write the most. Okay. Um, there aren't a lot of events in December and January because of holidays. Mm-hmm. And then May, there's usually one event maybe. And June and July, if I don't do camps, churches don't do retreats. There aren't conferences as much in the summer. And so that's when I try to write. Like this summer, because I have a book due in six weeks, <laughs> I, um, I we said no to every opportunity that came through this summer. Yeah. And just said no, Annie needs, and I, I want to be home. I, mm-hmm. I miss being home. The Our 2018, we back down a weekend a month. So we only travel two weekends a month. Just so that me Which doesn't and- maybe sound like a lot to people who don't travel a lot, but that's that's what, four or five days that you're gone. I mean, if right. you leave on a Thursday, you get home on a Tuesday. Right. Yeah, exactly. And then you're home we for usually a, do yeah. Friday mornings to Sundays. Yeah, we okay. aren't quite gone as long as musicians are. But, but still, that's pretty hefty because that is packing and washing clothes on Thursday, mm-hmm. cut, leaving early Friday morning. You're gone all day Friday, all day Saturday. You come home midday Sunday, try to... I go to church as a night service so that mm-hmm. I can feel like a normal person. So I try to go to church every Sunday. And then Monday, we're hitting the ground running. I have three employees. Everybody works on Mondays and Thursdays. So on Mondays, we work. Mm-hmm. Tuesday, it's usually just me and Eliza. Wednesday is our day off. Wednesday is our Sabbath huh. day for the week. And then Thursday, everybody works again. And then we leave again on Friday. So if you do that more than two times a month, you feel you feel it. Yeah, It feels like you don't see your— Because when do you see your friends in there? Yeah. Right? Like my day off isn't like, isn't everybody else's day off. So mm-hmm. it's not like, hey, who wants to do breakfast? Right? <laughs> it's like, no, every all my friends are at their jobs or on the road. And so it, it can be really taxing, especially being single, Andy. Come on now. I can't go on dates if I'm gone every Friday. Am I right? right? So, so we have a board of directors and one of their rules from the beginning was one weekend at home a month, no matter what. Mm, and so good. when we have three in a row, my booking agent and I go, whoop, then the one before this is off and the one after this is off and Sorry. Yeah. And the best gig could come in and he just doesn't tell me. 
because he knows that I, I can't do more than three a month or more than three in a row. Yeah. And that's long-term sustainability. Hopefully. Yeah. That's the goal is, is that if they asked me to be there in 17 and they really want me, they'll go ahead and let's talk about 18. Yeah. Because you can get me now for fall of 18, but you can't have me for fall of 17 because I, I just can't. I, I've got to be the best Annie and the healthiest Annie. And in the end, God isn't going to ask me a lot about um, how I behaved on stages. I think he'll ask me how I behaved on in airports mm. and in hotels and at meals with people and with my friends here. Mm-hmm. And so, because who I really am comes out at 4 a.m. at an airport, right? <laughs> who, who I can be for an hour on a stage on a Friday night yeah. matters. And is the and I need God to help me. I need the Holy Spirit to show up. Um, but I know who I'm held accountable to is 4 a.m. Annie yeah. in an airport. And so we need to make sure that we've built boundaries in a life that allows for a healthy Annie and a healthy assistant and a healthy company all the time, not just yeah. the couple of hours when I'm on a stage. She's great. She's a hero. She's funny. She's sweet. Everybody loves Annie on a stage for 40 minutes. But I need to I need to love the Annie I am at 4 a.m. at an airport. Mm. That's really profound. So now that you're now that you're in this life, you've you've got this company, you've write, you're writing these books. Is this what you thought it would be when you when you left your teaching job to yeah. do, you know, to go be a writer and be a speaker? I there are parts of it that are exactly like you think. Mm-hmm. You sit at your desk and you write. It's I'm not a go to the cabin for a week kind of writer. Mm-hmm. I know some people are, but I'm not like light a candle turn on the right music, <laughs> mm-hmm. kind of in general, partly because you can't be, right? Like I've got eight weeks to write a draft of a book and I don't get to wait till I feel inspired to do it. Now, there are moments when I do feel very inspired and no matter what I'm doing, I drop it and go right. Sure. But in general, it, there's a writer quote that floats around a lot that people, that someone was interviewed, an author was interviewed one time and said, do you only write when you're inspired? And he said, yeah, but I get inspired every morning at 9 a.m. Yeah, so that's Stephen Pressfield. There you go. Oh, is it? War yeah. of Art. Yeah. Okay, there you go. Yeah. Um, and so that's kind of how I have to live. Though, I feel the mojo or I don't feel the mojo sure. for sure. Where I go like, man, this is off. I need to switch locations. I mm-hmm. need to sit on another side of this desk. Not like bad luck, but just like I need to shake just, up everything. Yeah. I need to change the music. I need to sit on the couch. I need to do something different, right? And so so parts of it feel like I thought it would. Parts of it are so different than I thought. Running, mm. I didn't plan to run a company. Yeah. And running, being a female Christian running a company well really matters to me. I don't call it a ministry, not because we don't do ministry, but because I don't want the excuse of what I could say to myself if a Mm. ministry doesn't go well Mm. or something. If a business fails, you just have to call it a failure. If a ministry fails, it just feels a little different in my guts, not Mm. anything anybody else has said to me, but in my guts, I'm like, no, no, no. I'm running a business that that when I'm done with this, I want people to say, Annie F. Downs ran a really good business. Mm. As her employees were happy, they stayed when they could. We have a couple of different jobs in the company, and one of the jobs is a launching job. And Mm. so we know that job is never permanent. That job is, we want you to be here to be, we call it the incubator job kind of. Mm. We want you to be here to grow, and then we want you to hatch and go. Go do your thing. Yeah. Yeah. And so we have one job that's always going to turn over. So I'm not looking for that person to stay. I'm looking for that person to grow and hatch. But there's a couple of jobs I'm like, no, I want that person to 
love being here enough that they go, yeah, I'm going to say no to other opportunities because I love working here. And I want people to feel like our company was generous and good to work with. And so um, that is really different. I didn't plan to run a company. I didn't take business classes in college. I say the Lord all the time. I was listening to you in college. If you just said, take a writing class or a business class, I wouldn't have gotten it, but I'd have done it. <laughs> right. But you didn't, I just took all these like elementary, yeah. like science and math and which is great and needed it. But one business class would have been really helpful. Yeah. But I read a, a little ton copyright of business yeah. books and I am in a ton of business running business conversations with people when I can be. Mm-hmm. And because I want to run a business really well. So that part, I didn't expect that. Yeah. Um, Road life. So I was in love with a guy who was on the road for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. And our, I thought I understood our life. Sorry, I thought I understood road life because of our life, his and I life together. Mm-hmm. Because he was on the road full time. And so I thought, oh, I understand because I'm the one home. I, I get what your life is like. But then when I went on the road, I was like, oh, this is so different. Yeah. <laughs> now I understand that. Now I understand that. I I should have been more grace filled mm-hmm. about that. Yeah, I, not, you spend most of your time just waiting. Yeah, when you're on the road. Yeah, waiting to get somewhere, waiting to go on stage, waiting to right. just waiting. Just waiting. You got to be there when they're ready for you, and you have to be a good version of you. And uh, people at home need different things from you than you mm-hmm. thought they would. And when I first was on the road traveling heavy, it was 2012. And I was gone, um, I was on a tour. And so it was two weekends a month for the whole school year. Mm-hmm. And we left out on Thursday and we came home overnight Saturday after the event. So I was gone three days a week. And I thought, when I come home, I'm not going to talk about it. Like, people don't care about that. My friends don't care about that. When I come home, I want to go to church and go to lunch and say, don't ask, yeah, yeah, it was a fine weekend. What did I miss? Catch me up. Mm-hmm. And after about six months of that, I realized I felt like I had two lives mm. because I wasn't inviting my home into my road life at all, yeah. thinking that was the right thing to do. The reality was like, I need, and so so now my girlfriends and I have some, have kind of some questions they always ask me about the road that they don't even understand all the answers. How'd you sell at the table? They don't, they don't have a, mm-hmm they don't have an idea of what is good and what is, what is bad, but I need people to ask, mm-hmm. did you? So um, that that exists and that's yeah, real. So I invited them into that. And I yeah. just said, Hey, when, when we see each other after a weekend to my kind of group of girlfriends that I see a lot, I kind of said, or if I'm dating someone, I, this is what he and I will talk about or y'all, you know, where I'll go, the families that are in my life. I'll say, you know, I need someone to ask me if we exercised, if I, if I exercised while I was on the road or if I just laid in the hotel bed and watched TV. Mm-hmm. I need someone to ask me if I was kind to Eliza. I need someone to ask me if I was, how the people were, where we were. Did they, how'd the talks go? How'd the table mm-hmm. sell? All that kind of stuff. I need people to ask me that. So I feel like I'm one person, not two people who have like a home life and a road life and they don't mix at all. Yeah. Um, I am a little more careful about inviting my road life into my home life. Mm-hmm. Of like, like, you know, I don't, tell my friend's stories when I'm sitting at a table of people who've hosted us for the weekend. Um, and you know, yeah, Midland, no, you have Texas. to be protected. Yeah. yeah I'm yeah. protecting my home people, but inviting my home people into my road life was really important. Yeah, man. That's really good. That's really good. So that was different than I thought was the original question. Yeah. And writing books is a lot harder than I thought it was. Right. <laughs> it's just, it's a lot of words and a lot of people get to touch it and a lot of people get to have opinions and, and then 
this is true for musicians as well, but about a third of my job is writing the book and about two thirds of my job is selling the book. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know that. I thought I got to write it and turn it in and other people would do all that work. And that's not how it works with nonfiction. With fiction, it's a little different, but with nonfiction, it is my job to make sure that people know that this book exists, which is fair and fine. The publisher, I've been really lucky to work with publishers who've had good marketing teams and have done well Mm. by me and they've treated my work really kindly and generously. But in the end, my friend Ann Voskamp said to me when I got my first book deal, she said, here's the thing you need to remember. You're the only one who cares every day. Mm. So to ask anyone else to care every day is is a bad expectation. No one else cares about your work every day. You're the only one. And so for... 10 years of doing this, 11 years of doing this, five years as my full-time job, um, I am the only one who's scared every day. Yeah. And so I'm the only one who's thinking about making sure people know my books exist every day. I'm the only one who's making sure that, you know, what we're doing on stages matters every day. And so I'm the only one who cares every day. When you're thinking about that, is that does that make it harder to write? Are you writing... So when I'm writing a book, I know exactly who I'm writing to. Mm-hmm. And I frame their picture on my desk. And mm-hmm. so I go, this is who I'm thinking about. This is who I'm writing for. And um, actually, you know, it's funny. The book, this book, I may cry telling you this. The book that I'm writing right now, I'm writing for me. Mm-hmm. And I know that. Because I need some of the things to be said to me mm-hmm. that I'm getting to say in this book. And it's the first time that's ever happened. Every other book, I've really known the audience. And I've gone, it's for him. It's for her. I, I can see them. And this time, I, it took me so long because I couldn't figure out who I was writing for. Wow. And I went, oh, this is this one's for you. And But it's not my journal, right? It's mm-hmm. it, But so I don't think about when I'm writing, I, um, I'm not thinking about selling the book. Yeah. I'm genuinely thinking about, man, these eight people. So one of my books I wrote for my small group that I was mm-hmm. leading here in Nashville, Speak Love, was for my small group. So I had them framed. Let's All Be Brave was for some young men that are, they were one of the target audiences I was thinking about. And that's not even the right language. They were they were my friends I was thinking about when I was writing were these Vanderbilt baseball players. And so their picture was framed on my desk when I was writing Let's All Be Brave. When I was writing Looking for Lovely, I was thinking this one um, group of women that I had spoken in front of. And so I put their picture on my desk. Mm. And so, and so I always, so I'm not thinking about the tens of thousands. I'm thinking about the 12 yeah, or apparently the one. Mm. And, and that's the first draft. The first draft has to be that small. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to write for one to 20 and then anyone else who reads it is butter, right? Like I'm grateful if anyone will pick up this next book uh, I know it's for me. Is that stupid? Are you supposed to write for yourself? I don't know. I'm processing this clearly for the first time yeah. sitting in front of you. No, it's, so. I think it's beautiful. Do you, can I ask, do you have a picture of yourself? No, I don't. I don't, but um, but I've been thinking about doing it. Hmm. Uh, there's a picture of this wasn't supposed to happen. There's a picture of me I know it needs to be mm. that I frame, and I just haven't had the guts to do it yet. But I will. I'm down to, you know, six weeks. So I got to do it because I'm <laughs> running out of days. So I got to do it. But, but yeah, I just need to – the whole book is about God's kindness 
And I need to believe that. And so that's what I'm writing is believing that he provides and he is kind even when your life doesn't look the way you thought it would, which is true for every human. We, our lives all look different than they thought, than we thought they would. But I'm not writing this book for every human. I'm writing it because I need to write down God's faithfulness and kindness to me so I don't forget. So, sorry. Well, I can't wait to read it. Ah. Thanks. <laughs> I can't wait to read it I too. I need to read it. <laughs> I do too. <laughs> That's what, whenever I'm doing the first draft, I'm like, can't wait to see where this one goes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, usually it feels like I have the map and it's my job, like that God's kind of laid the map in front of me and it's my job to trace it and take people and show people the map. That's how it totally felt with Let's All Be Brave. That's how it felt for Looking for Lovely. Um, with this one, it feels like he, it feels like God and I are kind of finding the map together. Mm. And then I'm going to zoom out and go, oh, that's it. Mm. And then I'm going to have more work to do where I have to like write the theme through it. Because sure. I, I, I know it's almost like I'm putting a puzzle together right now because I'm just writing these pieces that I know. And then I'm going to put it together and it, I'm going to see the path and I don't see the path yet. So that's been weird. Mm. Every day I'm like, well, I hit my word count, but I don't know what this book's about. <laughs> I mean, I know the theme, but I don't know, like, what's the center line? I don't know. Yeah. So. Yeah. There's a joy. There's a, then that's the part of writing that's almost more Sudoku, where mm. you go, okay, I've got the ideas. I know the feeling. I know the passion. Yeah. Now, how do I make this make sense? Is that true for songwriting too? Oh, 100%. Yeah, I would imagine. It's, uh, yeah. You but, just have to do it 12 different times for one album, and I get to do it once. Well, you do it. I mean, a record, you've got chapters, really. You, different songs are telling different chapters. Oh, That's always sure. the way I think of it, you know? And so, Well, you do really, really cool thematic albums, too. Well. I don't know that everyone does that. I don't think that everyone is as thoughtful as you. I think some people just try to sell albums. I think you try to make a piece. Well, I've definitely never sold many albums. <laughs> <laughs> is it one or the other? Who knew? <laughs> No, I don't think that's true. Oh, man. Well, that's really, uh, man, that's exciting. And uh, thank you just for coming and talking with me about this. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. I think you're doing a good thing here. Transitions are hard for people. They're always hard. And so hearing people who have walked through them and are walking through them, I need to hear that because I need to remember that these don't stop, right? That that transition happens. I used to hate change when I was little, meaning like last week. And, (laughs) And my parents would always say, Change always happens, Annie. It change is always going to happen. It's always going to happen. Mm-hmm. And I was always like, rrr, rrr. and then at some point you go like, I just have to be okay with that. Like mm-hmm. I have to choose that change is going to be a part of my life and transition is going to be a part of my life. So I think you're doing a good work. Yeah. You do good well, work. Thank you. Well, um, yeah. So when is this new book? When do you think it's going to be June out? June of 18. I know. It's June. June I think 18. it's June 4th of 18. <laughs> I know when it comes out. Oh, that's ter- that's like both terrifying and probably. Totally terrifying. I mean, but also. I know that most writers that I've ever worked with uh, were never more creative than when we have a deadline. Thank you. We're, I mean, I think God took every procrastinator and made them an artist, right? Because, <laughs> because we are, I mean, people are like, you're going to finish a book in, in mm-hmm. this. I was like, well, I've been thinking about it since January, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? It's been in my mind. I outlined it and hung it on my wall in January. Yeah. I just started really writing it when I came off the road in May. But yeah, I think that, 
I think that's part of the deal is that having deadlines is a good thing for us. I mean, our jobs mean we have homework for the rest of our lives. That's just part of the deal. I have homework every day for the rest of my life. There's always something due. Wow. Right? Yeah. Unfortunately. I hope that's inspiring to all you. (laughs) Aspiring authors. Coming up (laughs) artists. (laughs) Congratulations. You know how much you love homework. (laughs) Uh, Man, well, thank you so much. This is wonderful. Oh, thanks for having me, Andy. Thank you for listening to The Pivot Replay. Love making this podcast for you. We'll be back with new episodes in January, and I hope you have a great Christmas. Now go do something awesome.